Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Michael Long of Foolish Mortals. You have to say it like that. You can't just simply say Foolish Mortals. Let's be Foolish Mortals. See? Anyway, about the design and development of their turn-based strategy game, Kaiju Wars. I think I pronounced that correctly. I probably have. Anyway, Kaiju Wars, I'm going to call it that anyway, um, is... An extraordinarily different, in a good way, game. Isometric view, kind of. That's just not true isometric. It's not going to. And <laughs> it's an isometric view of a battle map, a grid, square grid battle map. And you are taking on giant monsters in an alternate 1980s. And the presentation of it is just comic book joy. The visuals are actually low colour. There's only about three or four colours on the screen at any one time, which makes it really pop out of the screen, oddly enough. I'm seeing this a lot in video games. They're actually sort of dabbling with the concept of reducing the colour palette to an absolute minimum. They're sort of embracing the concept of less is more. And I guess that's a good thing. I hope so. Anyway, we talk about this, Michael and I talk about why he adopted this style, how they developed the core components of the strategy which is more about launching attacks at a certain time and combining them with other units to to do an optimum attack to beat back these monsters and it is a wonderful story attached to it as well and i first encountered this game at pax east or west no it was west it was west apologies Um, they kind of blur sometimes and but yes it was at an event it doesn't matter but what what matters is that it was at the pax rising booth and uh yeah it's a phenomenal game and i've been spending weeks playing it since i interviewed him uh and it's uh yeah top notch good stuff it's a fantastic interview as well which i know you you want to listen to don't you not me babbling about something happened three or four months ago so let's 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 do this chris please take 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 it away michael Hi there. Hello. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Michael Long, and I make uh, indie games in middle of nowhere, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. It's the flat part in the middle. And I've oh. been uh, making indie games for about three and a half or four years running my studio. Ooh, okay. 
Well, it must be maybe in mourning as well because our our uh, heads of state, she, she passed away. You've now got a new one. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, uh, it is morning, and I think on Monday we get a holiday. So yeah, we do. We get a holiday as well. So you know, fellow yeah. uh, fellow subject, royal subject. So there he is. Um, I haven't really watched any of it. I just, anyway, <laughs> just, there's a thing that's happened. You know, death is as certain as life, kind of thing. Well, no, it's not true. Anyway, so <laughs> how did you make a start making video games, then, Michael? Sure. Uh, I have two older brothers, uh, ten and twelve years older. They've always um, played lots of video games. I've always watched them when uh, growing up. However, during university, uh, I never really had any aspirations to make games myself until university. I, uh, I saw that my university was doing a local game jam. So I joined that. And a game jam is where you make a game over 48 hours or some short period of time. And uh, I won uh, the first game jam I was in. And so that so certainly winning is a good start. So I actually, oh, so maybe I should you know, look into making games. I went on to get a bachelor's of computer science. So I'm, I'm a programmer by trade. And then during my master's degree, um, during my bachelor's and master's, I made games part-time. Uh, I participate in game jams. I now run game jams. And then actually during my master's, I received a government grant to work on a game I'd been working on for uh, a year and a half during my master's. Uh, my first major game was Radio General. It was a voice-commanded real-time strategy game. And the government gave me a grant to work on it. I then spent another year full time making the game and releasing it. And it did pretty well for a mostly single-person studio at the time. And um, I've been doing it for almost four years since, so I'm very fortunate. Yeah, wow, what a, what a, what a story. Is it? Did you jump into game creation, did you say, during university? Was it just after? Yes, uh, during yeah. university I attended game jams, and those are awesome. Right. I recommend if anybody's got interest in making games at all, or even just games themselves, give it a try. It's only like you know two days of your time, so it's good. Yeah, I mean, the fact that... Everyone, it's, it's a common thing. It's a common theme in this show, is that restriction drives creativity. You've only That's got right. a certain amount of time. You have a theme. Off you go. Make anything within the restrictions we're placing. Typically, game gens have a theme. That's how they're That's driven. Right. It's like you have to make a game about a thing within reason. And some amazing stuff pops out of those. Some of the most celebrated video games of all time in the last twenty years, I would say. Have actually been spat out from a game jam, for want of a better phrase, and it's quite That's incredible. Right. Is that they've evolved and so when did this come? Oh, we were doing this game jam, and people seem to like it. And um, I mean, I personally only participate in game jams for board games, tabletop games, which are mm. quite fun to do. And I've actually just recently made one. I say recently, we've been working on it because it turned out to be a really good game, and we thought, oh, we'll just carry on playing it, making it. Spent about two years on it so far, and it's a flip and right where you actually flip cards over like standard playing cards and build a village. It's quite oh, cool. Quite cool. So yeah. um, it's only about half hour, maybe maybe less than that, but it's a nice sort of experience, and people seem seem to like it. So that's going somewhere. But I can definitely understand the the appeal of of the act of create creation, and it's quite intimidating. Some people think like I don't know anything about coding. Yeah, but can you can you do a tune? Well, yeah. Ray, <laughs> or That's you right. know, many people bring many different skills to the table. Mm. It's not you don't just need to know um, logic loops and flags. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it certainly takes it takes a whole village to make a game. So no matter what your skills are, there's something you can contribute. You say you can you can write the script, you can yes. design levels on pizza paper. Yeah, I mean, you can even make a board game if you don't like all that programming stuff. Board games yeah. are a lot easier 
to design um, quickly. Just cut out a piece of yeah. cardboard and paper. It's it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been messing around with Dreams at the moment on a PlayStation to oh yeah as a tool to create some stuff, and it's fascinating, incredible tool set. But it mm. just goes so so deep, far deeper than people give it credit. And uh, there's some amazing games on that system as well. But um, with the idea of actually me then transferring these prototypes into more standalone experiences. So that's my idea anyway, because it's mm-hmm. there. It's a really intuitive tool. Why wouldn't you? you know? so, that's right. Yeah. Um, so next, next, next question, Michael. Here we go. And this is a bit of a nebulous one. And I suspect I know the answer to it, but it's an important one because you are a creator of things. So what do you believe are your biggest influences as a creator? Well, uh, I would definitely say it's my two older brothers. Um, Again, they're 10 and 12 years older than me, and they just loved games. Uh, They loved Godzilla growing up. Um, So basically anything they liked when I was a kid, I I wanted to be exactly like them. So they would be my greatest influences for sure. Wow. Because I have two older brothers as well. One's very close in age, about 18 months. The other one is about nine years. So I can definitely appreciate that kind of environment where – the older siblings are kind of like the pioneers driving through and finding and discovering things. And sometimes you get latched onto the stuff they like, sometimes not. And that's fine because we're all different mm-hmm. people, humans. But um, sometimes you, start, you get really enthusiastic. I mean, I never forget my, 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 one of my older brothers introduced me to Metallica music. Yeah. Bear in mind. But it's like I wasn't keen initially, but then I – Heard of Ryan on Master of Puppets and oh, actually, no, it's quite good. <laughs> yeah, I like that tune. That was really good. And then, then eventually, I found other titles and other music there. But yeah, it's mm. I can definitely understand it. Was there any particular games or titles you sort of gravitated towards that you found that it really sort of spurred the imagination? Do you think? Um, yeah, they certainly spent a lot of time playing uh, the Final Fantasy RPGs. Um, mm. And they also um, ran a lot of role-playing games. So whenever their friends would come over for D and D when I was little, right. I would try to like sneak downstairs past my bedtime and like hide on the couch and watch them. Um, so and they made these fantastic um, role-playing ad- adventures that were super in depth. They 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 literally spent like hundreds of hours making adventures. Uh, so I think that also you know prepped me in saying, oh, you know, people like making games, and they never took the step of making video games. Um, but I think that early D and D making role-playing games really. Um, put in the idea of, oh, yeah, people like making games and making stories. This is this is good. Yeah, just definitely, I can see that in Kaiju Wars. Definitely. It feels like a board game, not in a bad way. Please don't think that. It, it actually, um, uh, we did actually prototype it as a board game and got the game design uh, doing that, yes. Excellent. Okay, well, we'll delve, delve into that later on, but I just wanted to touch on that because I play a lot of very ridiculously complicated board games. Even um, the coin games, not sure we're familiar with those, but those are uh, counterinsurgency games and they're ridiculously mm. complicated. But um, the, we did, the, I think I played, the last one I played was actually Vietnam's Fire on the Lake. And uh, mm. that was, uh, I was playing the North Vietnamese Army. <laughs> I was just okay. sweeping across yeah. the Vietnam and it's like, and then the rest of the players are going, we need to stop Chris. Yes, yes, you do. Because <laughs> he keeps he keeps coming. Yes, yes, I am. I'm not going to stop. And it's this extraordinary model of the Vietnam conflict. And it's like, wow. And the layers of complexity and the interactions and turn orders and 
everything is just so tightly designed. It just go how how did they balance this? How did and unfortunately some bits that did get wrong and stuff like that. But it's mm. just like you know we we sit there the rules going, well this is rubbish. And then you go to board game geek and go, oh it is rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> they, <laughs> they've rewritten that bit. There's consensus that you don't do that. So, yeah. but um, just it just made me really appreciate when I was playing Kaiju Wars. Like, yeah, totally get where he got that from. This this makes sense. There's a there's yeah. a there's a train of thought here. So good stuff. Okay. So uh, next question, a bit of a toughie, or maybe not. I've had some guests sort of stumped over this one, and they can you can give me multiple answers. There you go. Just to help sure. you out. But um, what uh, video game developer do you most admire, and why? Sure. Uh, it definitely would have been. It would have used to be uh, Blizzard. Uh-huh. Uh, I played a yeah. lot of. Starcraft 1 and Warcraft 3 and Starcraft 2. Basically, anything Blizzard made was just incredible. Um, Mm. Warcraft 3 is probably my most played game. I guess you could argue, actually, I got my start making video games uh, as Warcraft 3 mods. I made my own custom campaign and some custom maps for playing on Battle.net. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, Got introduced to triggers and coding and stuff. Um, But yeah, in modern times, uh, not Blizzard. (laughs) Not anymore. They've fallen from grace. Very much so. It's good that people are standing up. It's not good they've fallen from grace, but it's good that people are going, no, that's just yeah. no. And there it is. They have to suffer the consequences of those actions. But uh, that's right. So who is it currently then? Um, I'm a big fan of um, most of uh, Relic's uh, RTSs. Mm. Um, they, they do Company of Heroes and uh, Warhammer Dawn of War. Um, they, they've been doing pretty much every single game they make. It's like, yeah, yeah, this this is good. Yeah, I agree. I think they're based in Canada as well, aren't they? I'm fairly certain they are. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're, um, I think they're in Vancouver. I think. Yes, yes, which is barely Canada. No offense to Vancouvers, but uh, yeah, <laughs> geographically, geographically, it's 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 very close to the border. But um, no, um, I've uh, I loved Company of Heroes. Um, Company of Heroes three, I played at PAX West. They had it there at the Sega booth. I could not not play that while I was there and I made sure I went I know I'm going to come back on Monday because no one's going to be here and I was right yeah yeah <laughs> that's right I did that as right. well yeah just popped over it's not it, I liked it I think the overworld thing kind of jarring I thought whoa where are you going with this but it makes sense because World War Two was a very large conflict why wouldn't mm-hmm. you think of logistics before you actually get on the ground rather than you throwing you into a theatre combat which you had no control over He's like, mm. well, I I didn't set this up. I didn't set all these logistics up. It's with someone else. Now you only got yourself to blame. <laughs> That's right. So it's a it's a nice idea. Let's see if I hope they can pull it off. But uh, no, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't get around to playing Endless Dungeon because I thought it was some other title. It wasn't. It's a new one. So oh okay yeah yeah. So anyway, no, I I was impressed. But uh, yeah, Relic was good good uh, good shout. Anyone else? Do you think want to point to? to Think you um, unless uh, anyone else you think you sort of like? Oh yeah, um, quite good. I can't think of any other ones at the moment, that's but uh, I'll let you know. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, last question of the first half. Here we go. Um, we, this is a video game podcast, and as is tradition for most video game podcasts, we like to ask this question. Also, demonstrates that you're not living in a bubble, Michael, and you are enjoying other people's work. So, what are you playing right now? 
Sure. Um, I'm replaying the old uh, Ace Attorney games uh, on the Switch, and we mm -hmm. did also finish the new uh, great Ace Attorney, the 1900s Sherlock Holmes one. Um, okay. That one was really good. Uh, I do play Warcraft 3 with my brother every single week. We still we still play that old school. Um, on an emulator, I just started playing uh, Tactics Ogre uh, on Super Nintendo. Right. That's an old school one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, so uh, a variety of things. Oh, and Warhammer 3, of course. Uh, Total War Warhammer 3. Right. Yeah. Uh, th it's just... It's extraordinary um, how those those games have evolved. When they first announced Warhammer Total That's War, right. I went... Well, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Finally, we actually get to swing around the uh, defense of the dwarves, who are just notoriously difficult to play. They still are. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah, hours of setup, uh, hours of playing, and then you can yeah. like, play down 10, 15 minute battle of giants, like smacking dudes like in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty good stuff. It's really good stuff. And when, and when you're playing the, the chaos side, which is delightful, it's got to be said, you feel yeah. bad, but then you don't. Because it's like, well, let's just put some disease over here. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just do no some more crimes, massacre some people. Yeah. yeah, Nurgle for the win, you know. Blood for the blood gone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I need to get on three. I haven't got onto it yet because I've been busy with other things. But um, no, it's, uh, it is an ex it's so... It, initially, it's deeply intimidating. They do their best to onboard you, but... Uh, it's very difficult, really. To you're going to fail. You have to accept failure in order That's to right. win in that. In order to succeed in that game, it sounds a bit odd, but it's one of those video games where you have to accept failure and mm -hmm. repeatedly before you get it. Which is sounds gatekeeping. I'm not. I'm just being. And if anything, it's a criticism of the game system. But Total War games have always been like that. Yeah, they're very hard to get into. There's a lot of systems. It's basically two separate games. There's an overworld map with like some civilization stuff. Yeah. And then there's the real-time battles that are completely different. They're basically trying to make two full games. And it's very impressive how far like they've come along for both. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's very hard to get into. It's huge. Yeah. I've been playing them since um, Total War Shogun 1. Yes, yeah, me too. Time. Me too. I've uh, faltered in some respects. Some of the Rome ones were were very, you know, they shouldn't have been released in that state at all. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But um, yeah, some of the Napoleon ones are just amazing. This oh thing. yeah, those are awesome. How did the Prussians win that one? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know fascinating stuff. Anyway, clearly we could talk for hours about that, but we haven't got hours. We've got other things to talk about in the second mm -hmm, half of right. the show, where we're going to delve deep the Kaiju Wars.
before we can delve deep into Kaiji, the, the audience at least needs to know what it is. Fair? Sure. So, in your own words, I wish you the very best of luck with this, Michael. Because I know you did a great patter at uh, PAX West. It's where Michael and I met, by the way, PAX West 2022. Um, and uh, I immediately gravitated towards the PAX Rising booth, as I always do anyway, because it's always yeah. creme de la creme games there. There was Michael standing there with his extraordinary booth. It was big and red and bright. It's very good. And yeah. um, we, yes. Yeah, so what is what is Kaiju Wars? Sir? Kaiju Wars is a two D turn based strategy game inspired by Advance Wars Into the Breach. In it, you need to use your very weak military to slow giant monsters down as off brand Godzilla and friends attack your city. So again, your your military is very uh, expendable, and you actually want the monsters to step on your tanks and fighter jets. It's like stepping on a pointy Lego. It's very painful. Yes. And it's in an isometric view. I know it's not mm-hmm. true isometric because that's a different angle, but let's just call it that. It might be planimetric. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, let's just it's just that 3D view. Um, for the older listeners, everyone, it's a bit like Night Law. There you go, like that. So, <laughs> um, and uh, the display where you have a limited sort, was it? Is it 12, 14 by 14? I can't remember how the grid is, but, but it, I guess it depends. But um, the grid layout is square grids. It's not hexagonal. And so it's not that intimidating. Don't worry. It's not, not iron hearts or anything like that. And you have um, various battle units you can have available to you that you can build based on an economy. You have two currencies, possibly three. But let's talk about the two during battle which is money that you tax from buildings that are still standing in the battle arena, and also research points, which you then, which are a trigger point where you need to gain more and more research, and this research is used against the kaiju. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly earlier on, it's very simplistic, but later on it becomes much more, much more complex, and in many ways, you actually have to anchor your strategy around the success of your research development R&D team. Which is all very strange that they're having his research lab in the middle of a battlefield. But hey, it's, it's a Godzilla movie. You know, they got, you got to do it last minute as the monsters are like chased, like about to crush the lab. They're like, I've got the cure. Okay. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah, it's just, and all of it is presented in a certain way. And we're going to talk about that now. But that's really the key is, and the best way to describe yes, Into the Breach is a great reference point. However, many of our listeners may have not have played that. So, it is a pure, pure turn-based strategy game. There's no, as far as I can tell, remember, any real-time aspects to it. So you can take no. time to, to consider your moves. You can either undo your, uh, at least in normal right. anyway, uh, you can undo your movement of your units because that is vital because, and we, we sort of spoke about it earlier, but it's a bit like chess in mm-hmm. many, many regards. Um, your units can move in a certain way, certain pattern, they can do certain attacks. Some are better when they are attacked by the kaiju. Others really should not be anywhere near the kaiju when it attacks. However, right. they do need to get close to unleash their attacks to just make sure that they don't get then retaliated because otherwise you lose them, but you can then re- redeploy them by repairing them. It's mm-hmm. There's all sorts of layers here. We like layers, especially in this show. Okay. But that's my attempt at, at fleshing out more of what Kaiju Wars is. Um, and uh, so, first question. Here we go. 
there is a really strong focus on where the kaiju is going. Well, what what the kaiju is going to attack next? That's right. It's intent. It's like pops up. It's a big sort of thing. It doesn't occupy one square, which is yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm trying to think there's any exceptions, but it it does generally occupy only one square. But it is a great hulking thing with almost mm-hmm. infinite health. Well, not infinite, but anyway. So I'll have to ask: Was Kaiju Wars built around that concept? In that you hang on, you know what they're going to do. It seems to be quite counterintuitive to make a strategy game knowing what the opposing force's intent is. Um, was it? Was the game designed around that concept? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was. Uh, so I guess uh, to back up a little bit, one of the design goals that we really like advanced wars and finalizing tactics and fire emblems, so those like turn-based move dudes on a map kind of games. However, we've always found the AI into those games to be very lacking. It always does completely terrible moves, uh, even though I do love those games. Like they'll always attack your lord if it's available, but then you can just surround them and massacre them. Uh, so the AI in those games is absolutely abysmal. We want to make a tactics game that has basically no AI. Um, so, and we tell you the, the player the exact rules. We tell the player exactly how everything works, and we display as much information as we can showing the game. So that is a similar design idea of Into the Breach, where Into the Breach showed where the monsters are going to attack each turn. However, um, one thing Into the Breach doesn't do, uh, Into the Breach does not explain how the monsters make the decisions it makes. So like there's a web guy into the breach, um, but how is he making decision of either webbing or tank or attacking a building? I, I don't know. The game never tells you. Uh, so, but our game, we decide, no, we want to be very clear, very transparent. The whole game is based around a tacticsless game where you know exactly where the monster is going to move. So he moves towards the nearest building. And if there are e- several equally close buildings, uh, he's going to randomly pick one of them to be his targets. And we show you all the tiles he's kids, he could step on to make it to the target because it's an isometric grid with orthogonal movement. So there's often multiple movement paths he could take. And we show the exact odds he's going to step on each tile on the way to the building. So you don't know which path he's going to take, but we show you all the possibilities and give you all the information of um, every time he moves, he basically does a coin flip of which tiles he's going to step on on the way to the target. Um, So yeah, the entire game is based around, we don't want AI. We want to show you all the rules. And also, as I mentioned before, is actually prototype is a board game. So... um, you don't want to make a very advanced AI in a board game, right? It has to be very simple. Oh, yeah, it moves towards the nearest building. Okay, he's going to move three towards it. Boom, boom, boom. There you go. Uh, so it's very board game-like, uh, very simple. And then it's all about, you know, seeing where he's going to go. And then you have to play this very... Um, there's a lot of subtleties for positioning units. Some you want to get stepped on, some you don't want to get stepped on, but you do need to move into attack. And then, actually, there's some really cool key building placement you can do where if you build a building at the right moment... Uh, it will become the closest building to the tar- the monster, and he'll actually turn away and start going towards that sacrificial army base and take him on a completely different route around the map, giving the scientists, you know, many more turns of working on their kaiju serum. Yes, much, much needed. You need to do new ones every time, by the way, because... You're they just keep mutating. So. They do. And also, you've got to make the sequel to the previous film or the next episode to the previous TV. Anyway. <laughs> 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 but um, I just... There's so much to... to, to to unpack there but i just love the fact that you have these percentages that flash up going probably gonna hit the tank you've got 80 percent chance it's gonna hit the tank but it might not it's a bit it's a wild creature after all it's just you know 
swinging around doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And they go, right. this, is, this is true. And these percentages, everyone, do mean something unlike in XCOM. <laughs> That's, yeah, they, they lie. It's horrible. They just yeah. lie. Like 90% hit. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I missed. There you go. How? Point blank, shotgun. I know, but there was that 10%, wasn't there? No, there wasn't. No. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's often stated in the show about that particular rule and how people deal with it and what you've done. Be, to be so transparent, and yet you can still fail, everyone. I mean, you've given all this information, all this data, and you still mess up. And that's fine, because that's why we play games. You know, That's one of the reasons I play them anyway. Mm-hmm. It's fine to be challenged. Um, I know everyone out there is yelling at me going, not all games are a challenge. I know. I know. <laughs> Thankfully, there's a broad spectrum of video games out there that have all sorts of things. So, you know, I once had a terrible argument where I made the foolish mistake of saying, no, all, uh, that's a, not all video games are fun. What? Anyway, let's not go there <laughs> again. Because <laughs> that's, again, another discussion for another time. But, and I think... It does. It's quite telling that you you've built it around. You definitely answered the question very, very detailed. Uh, so let's move on to the second design question. There is an absolute sense of efficiency and timing when playing Kaiju Wars that rewards players for not being reckless, for protecting, mm-hmm. for for counting every single movement as being the most precious thing they have in the environment they're working in everything matters everything is just and it's quite uh, it's uh, almost looking in circles there but um it's quite jarring because many games are very wasteful that's right uh, role playing games especially how often have you sat there action role playing games like diablo where you're just jabbing away at the healing vial all the time to to stop yourself from dying you know going back to blizzard again and but in in Kaiju Wars, it's just no. Everything is finitely measured. That's right. L- less is more. Less is more. So, what do you do to encourage players to adopt this style of play to make sure that yeah, please respect everything you're doing. You know, do you really want to just build those ships or build those planes for no reason? Why are you doing that? Why do you want to build another base rather than spend money on another plane you just blew up? For example, I mean that's a very blunt one for because it's mm-hmm. a resource, but also movement is a resource. Um, that's right. Place, you know. The, the, so tell us how. What do you think Kaiju Wars does to encourage players to think this way? Um, as you say, uh, you are sometimes going to lose during the first act. You you might not, um, but later on it can get trickier, especially if you're playing on hard mode. Um, so we didn't want to make generally the missions aren't too too long. Uh, so we want to make sure that even if you do lose, you don't lose too much time. Uh, we do add an undo button and also help people. Um, if you like make a move and then like, oh, no, no, that's not quite what I want. You can undo stuff. Um, as for like every, as you're right, every single, every single tile and movement and attack is important. Uh, especially we do teach you uh, early on that some of the monsters have attacking abilities. Every turn, they can destroy a unit that's adjacent to them. Um which teaches you this concept that you shouldn't actually trickle in units one at a time. So there are some turns where you want to hold back to build up a group of like four units just slightly back from the monster. And the next turn you surround him and sure, you'll destroy one of them, but you still then have three attacking ones for next turn and then you just keep attacking. So you don't dribble in. You want to 
attack at once in force, and then sometimes you want to actually hold back. Um, and um, you'll quickly realize, as you said, um, we, we show you early on how good tanks are. Uh, when the monster steps on tanks, it actually slows them. They lose a movement point. And that might not sound like a lot, but that can actually be like the victory between um, victory and defeat, uh, where you just slightly slow the monster by one. And the next turn, he won't quite make it to the building because he lost one uh, point. And then it just cascades because, oh, you actually had that building for more turns now. And that building generates money every turn. Uh, so you actually, because of that one move, you actually saved yourself $4 or something. Um, so like these small micromanagement uh, techniques can actually save you, get you huge savings uh, later on. So I, I think it also has to do with, uh, I think the tutorials are designed super well, if I say so myself. Like each of the, the first act missions introduces one new concept mm. and shows you how it works and then moves on to the next one. Oh, here's now project cards. Here's building buildings. Here's tanks. Um, yeah. Here's the monster. He can move in different directions from the volcano now. Whoa. Um, so I think uh, the game does a very good, like it just took a lot of trial and error of figuring out these tutorials of like, yep, the first hour of your game is by far the most important. Um, you got to teach them so many concepts in a strategy game. And yeah, we just had to play, we just had to like hundreds of people play these tutorials to see if they're good. And I think they're pretty good. Yeah, it's two things that are the bugbear of most developers. The front end. <laughs> yep. Because no one wants to make a menu. Just, just can't you just compile the code and no, fine. <laughs> yeah. um, and then also to t teaching people how to play the game, a game yeah. you've been working on for day and night for years. How can people not how no play this game? Well, because they're not you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't know what you know, and you, and you know, I've played lots of RPGs and strategy games. It's amazing what I know, um, yeah. and lots of people didn't. And actually, even something. I discovered in PAX that there was something I made a mistake on. Uh, you, um, growing up, I played all these strategy games where you'd left-click to select units, and then you'd right-click to move your selected units. Yeah. And I just assumed that, like, everybody knew this convention. Yeah. Uh, it turns out people don't. Uh, like, lots of people don't play computer strategy games. No. And they just couldn't get the idea of left-clicking on a unit and right-click to move. Like, they could not wrap their heads around that. And I'm not blaming them. Um, I made a mistake. I assumed mm. that people knew what I knew. Right. And so then right after PAX, I then um, patched it and actually added... A, actually, no, it wasn't... Sorry, it wasn't PAX. I think it was a previous uh, local convention I went to. Um, okay. But then I went and patched it and added in, yeah, you can now move units with left-clicking. Left yeah. Um, and because yeah. a lot of people use phones nowadays, too. Um, in fact, if they don't you know, have a home computer, do they even know what a right-click is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on a phone, you, you just tap. Uh, and like on controllers, there's A. So... Yeah, mm. uh, maybe in the future we won't even have right clicking anymore. So yeah, yeah, a lot of people can now move. A lot of people just use tablets for their main computer at home, and because they don't, no one prints anything anymore. I mm. do because I play tabletop role playing games and stuff. Of course I do, uh, but yeah, I'm also quite you know. But most of the time, people just don't have those setups anymore. They just have you know. I have uh, several friends and relatives that just yep. just have a tablet because that's all they need. Like. For me, it sounds horrifying, but <laughs> you know, right. but uh, it's it's just it's just how it is, and that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's it, interesting. Like, well, of course, you right click to confirm an action. How else do you? Like, yeah, didn't you play Star action? One or Command and Conquer? That's how yeah. that's how it works. Or, so you, you, know. you, you select where they're going to go, and then you right click. I mean, so uh, it works. Um, you play Shining Force. That's how it works. You press the button, then you see, then they go. Never mind. <laughs> so, um. So speaking of movement, it's almost as if you know what's on my questions here. But um, 
the movements of the units are quite restrictive, depending on That's what right. they are. And it is orthogonal, though for those of you who don't know what that word means, and many people don't, it means just up and down, left to right, you can't go diagonal. That's, that's it. Um, which makes sense on a, on a square grid. Uh, and it's very restrictive. It requires the player to consider several actions ahead. Mm-hmm. Really do. I know it's a strategy game. Tell us something we don't know. But really, one thing I love about Kaiju Wars is how transparent it is about everything. Everything. We talked that's about right. that in the last sort of part of the show. But what do you do to aid the player, to inform the player that, that they can make informed decisions, they can make informed plans? Because as you mentioned earlier, Into the Breach doesn't really tell you a lot of things, making you fumble around in the dark a little bit when you're planning ahead. So what do you do in Kaiju Wars to inform them without, you know, basically laying out before them and reducing the challenge? Yeah. Well, um, you actually can go to the archives menu, and we actually do print out every single rule of the game that you can actually later review. So kind mm. of board game style. You can go look at the manual, basically. Yeah. Um, we do, as you said, or brought up earlier, the most important thing is the monster movement and where it might go. And mm. so using that, um, it, your tanks, uh, sometimes your army bases are quite far away, so it actually takes several turns for your tanks to get there. So you actually need to look ahead and say, okay, well, which building is going to move towards? And then, okay, if he goes this way, you can actually trace the monster's route ahead of time, saying, okay, it looks like he's going to follow this route around here. I'll move my tank and cut him off. Um, not where he's going right now, but where he will be. Um, that's also very important for units that are uh, awkward, like missiles have trouble, um, less movement moving through hills and forests. So you really need to plan on when and where to use those guys, since just because they're so incredibly slow. So yeah, showing where the monster moves. Um, you can also see like his path. And so you need to figure out where on the path I should be moving towards uh, or moving away from uh, with the odds uh, and placing the buildings. Um, and actually, probably building placement is actually probably the most important skill in the entire game. Uh, even more important than unit positioning is uh, when and where to build uh, buildings because you only have so many foundations on the map. So it's limited. You're always limited. Uh, to where you can build, and you have to decide what you should build, where. Mm. And it's very important of, should I build a harbor here? Oh, but it's going to get destroyed pretty soon. You could wait till the monster passes and then build an, a harbor You know, when he's gone away at that spot because it's going to take a while to get around to get there. Yeah. Again, they're building stuff while the monster's... It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you can rebuild it. They'll knock it down. You rebuild. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. It's all good. But I've found that you're absolutely right. Building a unit or a building something that generates units what that is is just as important as where it is mm-hmm. um, that's right then that's that's quite odd for most like i'll just throw something up be fine no no no. do you want to i mean i found often i build up an army barracks because uh when the, when the monster's relatively near because i just throw tanks at it to stop that's right it. a line of tanks is always good just just throw it out and, and then eventually get infantry and stuff like that but it's just you know the tanks you know they're just so, and then I always have my airbase. Typically, it doesn't always work. But I know. Sorry, Michael. Uh, but typically, I put it as far away as possible because it's got ranged units. It can throw things from a long far from far away. It's obvious, but why wouldn't you have your airbase out of the action because you want it feeding mm-hmm. in units from distance? And I often I have them. The planes are faster, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And you just basically rack them up. And you just go, well, they're just going to stay there for a bit, and then eventually, they'll 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 do their thing, 
And uh, yeah, very, very, very satisfying. So we've been talking a lot about the core mechanics of Kaiju Wars. And that's been very interesting, I hope, for the listeners, certainly for myself. But I, we can't, I can't, with good conscience, let you go without talking about the visual styling and the sure, presentation absolutely. of Kaiju Wars. It definitely feels like it's circa 1985, maybe a little bit earlier. Difficult to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, about that period, 82, 83, 84, something like that. Mm-hmm. I remember a lot of the because I lived through that, that and uh, like yeah, and the, the visual styling of the, the TV monitor and the it's all got curved and it got like lines going through it just in the CRT which some people miss, yeah, uh, but um, and also the battlefield is in these like the actual visuals. So there's only I think on I've written here it seems to be only four colors. Um, that's three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think there might be technically five if you count like black and gray. Um, black and gray, yeah. But yeah, it's a extremely. We chose a very limited color palette uh, for each of the areas, uh, and we very specifically we designed the colors based off old monster movie posters. So of course, um, there's an old Godzilla versus Kong poster that says like a yellow sky and pink grass, and um, you can see from the screenshots. Yep, we we use those colors. Um, so old monster movie posters, I can send you some links afterwards. Uh, uh, so of course, Godzilla is huge influence. Uh, and we also want, we were very careful with, uh, so limited colors, uh, we wanted to use kind of an old style, so as you say, retro computer, even like comic book style, we used a, a technique called dithering where you place black dots to create like, as if it's a color gradient, mm-hmm. even though you're only using two colors, black and not black. Um, it's so kind of what comic books do. Um, so we want to look retro, a little bit comic book style because we're basing on these old monster movies. This is old stuff, old computers. Uh, and we also were very careful with my color choices for, um, showing what's uh, clickable. So yeah. yeah, units clickable stuff is like bright, like a bright yellow. And then the terrain is actually a contrasting color. And I, I'm a programmer. I had no idea what that meant, but it means if you look on a color wheel, yellow and purple on others on opposite sides of the color wheel. And that right. means they really pop out from each other. They're contrasting colors. So everything clickable is yellow and then everything not clickable is like purple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we do, of course, vary the color scheme based on the area. So it doesn't get old too much. Um, but yeah, we, we spent a lot of, of work on the art style and I think it turned out very well. The, the dithering is a very popular technique used in now because a lot of people are making games for old machines, old computers, but they're yeah. using modern sort of pixel art technologies or mm-hmm. techniques, not technologies, techniques, to make them present graphics that back in the day, no one knew how to make. So the machines right. could have displayed them, but they couldn't, the, the people at the time lacked the skills or the knowledge of the techniques that we use now. And it's fascinating. You see these like screenshots, like this is made using a Commodore 64 or something like, no, totally, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> And it yeah. just looks fantastic because techniques that you're describing here are created, and it's just, just amazing, just amazing. Oh, thank and, you. Yeah, uh, it does. And what really struck me is the frames of animation you've got going. There's a lot of them. The monsters have yeah. way more animation than 
you have in older times. It's just so fluid. They've, I mean, obviously you spent a lot of time on that, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that was quite deliberate because you could yeah. have, you could have done. They, they are the monsters yeah. are the star of the show, so we did kind yeah. of make them. We actually made them look. Uh, we actually had a different artist make the monsters, and that mm. was a deliberate choice. They look a bit more hand drawn uh, than yeah. the retro pixely dithering. And that's a deliberate choice because the humans represent order and civilization of we build buildings, we make things orderly. And then the monsters, they look completely different. They are literal incarnation of destruction. Um, They can't be stopped. They're like a hurricane. And so they use different art styles on purpose. Also, when the monster stomps through your city, he actually leaves a gray trail of destruction in his wake. And you can actually trace his path by looking at the grayed out tiles of the forests and buildings he's crushed. Um, and that's very deliberate. Uh, so yeah. they're a force of destruction. We are a force of creation order. You know, they, we can't coexist. There must be war. So there must be war. Although uh, there is a early on that the the, uh, the scientist she says, well, "What's the ultimate aim here?" Well, hopefully, peaceful coexistence. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> the ultimate aim because they, you know this is not fair on them. So something something is clearly up. Um, that's right. But um, uh, it's it's all presented in a comic book sort of fashion. You have got this book of comic book of the kaiju wars on the table on the right. desk and you open it up and you click on the panels on the comic book it's incredible really really is incredible it's even like these little like little easter eggs which you click on like little toy soldier people and they start shooting at this big turtle and then you click on the turtle and it goes flying around the room just, yeah that's camera yeah <laughs> why not that's what we had, we had a lot of fun with the main menu. Um, we also included public domain kaiju films. You can click on like the TVs in the background and watch them. And there's yeah. um, links to archive.org. And there's even some very strange ones. Uh, there's one called Pulgasari we found. It's a North Korean a North Korean kaiju film. And they actually kidnapped a director from South Korea to make this kaiju film. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, that was super bizarre. I actually don't even know if that's technically public domain. But since they kidnapped a guy to make it, I, you know, I think we're. I think, I think probably, we're fine. probably fine. Poor fella. I mean, is he still there? Oh, I don't know. Anyway. I have no idea. <laughs> really interesting um, story. But we could delve into there's other aspects of Kaiju Wars in that I really want to mention it. It'd be terrible not to. It has a mission editor, everyone. So That's right. Once you've finished the game and you feel comfortable enough, you can make your own levels to terrorize people with. <laughs> yep. And upload them to Steam Workshop. Uh, yeah, it's fairly simple to use. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty good. Is it the same kind of version of the same tool you used? Or That's right. Oh, it is. Okay. Excellent. It's a very, very common thing. Very Blizzard thing of you to do. <laughs> yeah. Blizzard of old, anyway. Um, just to be clear. So, <laughs> uh, Kaiju Wars uh, is developed by Foolish Mortals, as you're known. Is, where's that come from? I mean, it's a great name. But where, where, where did that, why did he go with that? Um, just making video games is pretty risky and takes a lot of work. So you have to be very foolish to work in this industry. You could so, be making a lot more if you just did other stuff. So it's not directed at outside. It's inward. It's inward. You're saying, yeah. I am a foolish mortal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's, I'm just doing this. So this could, uh, could, could, this could crash and burn very quickly uh, or not. But it's certainly, I don't think it has at all. Um, and what, uh, what platforms is Kaiju Wars currently available on? It's available on Steam for uh, Windows, Mac, and Linux right now. It's coming out on co- all the consoles in the fall. Excellent, excellent. And thanks for letting us know what uh, what machines it runs on. Because we often get people say, "Oh, it's Steam." Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, what, what about those Mac users? You know, I want. I mean, 
anyway. Yeah, the one percent of people use Linux. Yeah, <laughs> and so the one percent. Yeah, yeah. All the, don't forget the Steam Deck now because the Steam Deck yeah. is, uh, is built around Linux, although it does run Windows games for variety of. It does an emulator thing, I think. Anyway, Michael, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It's been great. Yeah, uh, immortal welcome to come back. To oh, cool. Tell us, tell us what else you've got running. Oh, um, I've got some big plans. It sounds like you're actually a war gamer, so we actually we should we should chat about that. I'm working on a, a new war game. So, oh, exciting, good stuff. Yeah. I am. I'm, I don't do miniatures because it's just like getting a tape measure out. What, what are you doing? Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's, yeah. What are you doing? And all that painting. Come on, but yeah. um, when it comes to the video games, I, I'm I'm all for it because it's way way more straightforward what i mean it's how it eventually happens with civ i try to be you know be nice but then yeah then the romans take and like what are you doing and then you end <laughs> up having this generational war with the romans for you know hundreds and thousands of years and i always say they started it <laughs> they started they settled too close that was my land <laughs> anyway um yes you're welcome to come back in a future show but in the meantime thank you very very much oh thank you for having me chris it's been awesome you have been listening to the sausage factory podcast part of the cane and rinse collective support us for just two us dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website canerince.com <laughs>